Okay, Stanford football, Pac-12 football 2020, take three. Here we go again, once more, with a lot more optimism as the Pac-12 is headed back to the field and the court. And we're breaking it all down on this week's episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Friday, September 25th, 2020. Glad that you are with us for another edition of the show. A little late in the week. We usually come at you around midweek or so, but we decided to hold things off a little bit because we knew that Thursday was coming, the day that the Pac-12 school presidents were going to meet and uh, potentially decide which direction, if any, that uh, fall competition was going to take specifically for football. We got those answers on Thursday afternoon, and we are going to spend the overwhelming bulk of today's, uh, of this week's show breaking all of that down. So glad you're here with us. You're going to hear from the various sound bites, the pertinent sound bites from the uh, webcast, the webinar that uh, the Pac-12 held with Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson, University of Oregon President Michael Schill, and uh, Oregon State Senior Associate Athletic Director Dr. Doug Ackerman, who has been the head of the uh, Pac-12's medical um, efforts uh, throughout the course of the pandemic. So you're going to hear from those guys coming up later on in the show. Glad you're with us. Follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. With 27 seasons of following Stanford football and Stanford sports underneath my belt. And looking forward to beginning number 28 here pretty quickly at the beginning of November. More on that in a brief second or so, but but first, of course, let's get you up to speed on our good friends at betonline.ag because the wait is finally over. Football is back. Amen for that. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. Game spreads and totals, team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's also the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, after halting all competition until January 1st, back in mid-August, the Pac-12 announced on Thursday afternoon that football is back on and basketball and winter sports are a go as well. Football will play a seven-game schedule starting the weekend beginning uh, November the 6th. Men's basketball and women's basketball can begin their regular seasons as early as November 25th. That's consistent with the date set uh, by the NCAA when they voted on that issue a couple of weeks ago. Other fall sports, such as soccer and women's volleyball, uh, they're headed to the winter and spring months. So uh, not this, this, these announcements do not... Uh, affect the other fall sports. So football back on the board. Uh, Basketballs are back on the board as well, along with the other winter sports too. Now, no fans will be allowed at any Pac-12 competition. Uh, That is scheduled to be the case until January 1st. I'm sure that they'll reevaluate things when we get closer to January 1st. And depending upon what uh, local health authorities say and how things are looking with the virus, wear a mask, 
they will make those decisions upon uh, on, on whether fans will be allowed in the buildings at Pac-12 competition at that point. But as of right now, for football, you're not going to be in the stadium. But that being said, look, overall, the news is this. Pac-12 football is back, along with the basketballs as well. And Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott tickled pink. Certainly delighted for so many people that uh, were able to announce uh, the resumption of play following our decision back in August to postpone. And this has been the result of uh, what we said back in August, that we'd follow the science, follow the data, follow the advice from our, our medical experts, and that we know how badly our student athletes want to compete uh, as student athletes for the Pac-12, but that we, we would only do so when we felt that we could do so safely. He, of course, very pleased about that. And it's amazing because six weeks ago, when we were all gathered on the Pac-12's webinar on August the 11th, announcing that it was canceling all fall sports competition at that point, six weeks ago, it was all gloom and doom. Well, what changed? Larry Scott explains. A couple of weeks ago, we announced a major breakthrough for us, which was access to daily testing which was a critical factor to our medical advisory board uh, being comfortable. Uh, that twinned with how the pandemic uh, has receded in some of our markets and, and greater comfort and efforts that we've committed to on the cardiac issues. Um, all, all these things uh, really progressed in a material way, uh, in a positive way that got us to the point where all of our stakeholders aligned and felt that we could uh, revise our earlier decision. That's Larry Scott, and there's no doubt the uh, daily testing uh, was truly the uh, large key, certainly one of the one of the large keys to all of this happening. And and, and maybe maybe it wasn't as quick. Uh, maybe things didn't happen as quickly as a lot of folks would have preferred uh, when they made that announcement with the Aquido Corporation. That partnership, that announcement was made on September the 3rd, and it took three weeks for the Pac-12 to get from that point to this. Maybe things didn't happen as quickly as anyone would have preferred, and much of that is apparently due to the local health authorities uh, at the state and county levels, both in uh, California and Oregon. But the daily testing component of this all was truly the big key to all of this. And Oregon State Senior Associate Athletic Director Dr. Doug Ackerman talked a little bit about how that daily testing changes things and how it really makes a lot of things possible going forward. You know, the advent of, of the daily testing and the advent of our ability to get PCR backbone testing back quickly along with the antigen testing to ensure that when our student athletes step on the court or on the field for practice, that the chances of them spreading COVID to one another diminishes. We can't take it to zero, but it certainly mitigates it. And it makes the other risks that we are concerned about um, in terms of, of cardiomyopathy, something that we can help manage because we can identify those who may be at risk of, of having COVID and spreading it and removing them so that they don't spread it to their, their, their peers and their teammates. Um, and, and so all of that in place really made it made us feel more comfortable that we could manage this in a safe manner and make the recommendation that, that we could move forward. That's Dr. Doug Ackerman at Oregon State. And look, with, without a vaccine, to the COVID-19, for COVID-19, without a valid, safe, and effective vaccine, 
Uh, it's all about management right now and, and just trying to make everybody as safe as they can possibly be. And daily testing, which was not available at the scale that it needed to be back in August when the decisions were, were initially made, uh, that, that certainly is no longer the case. So that is, that is good news all the way around. I've been checking Twitter on Thursday evening and, and, and noting that a couple of the athletic departments around the Pac-12 uh, expect to be fully up to speed with the Quidel tests uh, middle of next week. So that is uh, certainly good news in that respect. As for Stanford's reaction to all of this, Stanford Athletics Director Bernard Muir statement says, quote, I want to thank President Tessier Levine and Provost Drell for their extremely thoughtful leadership throughout this process. We're eager for all of our student-athletes to have the opportunity to play this season, assuming it can be done safely and with the appropriate public health authority approvals. To that end, we have been in touch with Santa Clara County and look forward to continuing to work with them to create a path for our student-athletes to train and compete. As we continue those conversations, the health and safety of our students, faculty, staff, coaches, and community remains our top priority. That is the statement from Stanford Athletic Director Bernard Muir. And it is important to note that as I say this on Thursday evening, Santa Clara County does not allow Stanford to begin athletic contact practices or competition. And as uh, Bernard uh, says in the statement, uh, constructive discussions are currently underway to uh, get that uh, squared away as quickly as possible. Uh, we do have statements from Bernard Muir and uh, Stanford President Mark Tessier-Levine. We have reached out for more in-depth comment for, to both of those gentlemen, and uh, hopefully they uh, uh, find some time to join us on an edition of the TreeCast here very, very soon. Meanwhile, Pac-12 football is taking the field, so that's that's the big news and very welcome news in a lot of circles and corners uh, throughout the Pac-12 footprint. But there are still plenty of questions that remain. A seven-game slate for football beginning the weekend of November the 6th Conference-only action. What will that seven-game schedule actually look like? Here's Larry Scott's answer. The idea is that all the teams in the Pac-12 South play each other. Uh, all the teams in Pac-12 North play each other. So we will have um, and, and one crossover game. There will be a South champion, North champion that compete in the Pac-12 championship game. The crossover game will count. This was something debated and discussed amongst our athletics directors, football coaches, Felt it was very important for it to count, and uh, that's how we're moving forward. That's Larry Scott. So five games in your division, Pac North playing all the other Pac-12 North teams. So for, obviously for Stanford, that's Cal, the Oregon schools, and the Washington schools. Pac-12 South teams playing each other. And then a crossover game, one crossover game with a team in another division. And then final opponent, well, that's to be determined. The North and the South division champions will be crowned in those six games, those two teams will play in the Pac-12 football championship game. Everybody else will play. I'm sure, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be a seeding type thing. Who knows? But everybody will play seven games. Uh, and even if you're not in the uh, Pac-12 football championship game on December the 18th, you'll still be playing that weekend if you are playing Pac-12 football. Hopefully. Now, the crossover opponents have, are, are to be determined. Uh, that should be announced in the coming days here. But, man, 
uh, can I vote for USC for Stanford's crossover opponent? Look, that would be a challenge because USC personnel-wise overall appears to be going in the right direction. A lot of good things appear to be happening uh, for that program for the most part. And look, let's face it, it's, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge, but man, it just wouldn't be a complete Stanford football season without facing USC, would it? I mean, we talked about it a little bit on last week's TreeCast because last week in the original iteration of Stanford football's schedule, Stanford football schedule 1.0, last week would have been Stanford hosting USC on September the 19th. Who knows if Stanford USC even shows up on Stanford's football schedule 3.0, which will be unveiled in the coming days but just wouldn't be the same it's like you know for a few years Oregon and Washington didn't play each other and that was a big deal up in the Pacific Northwest so a similar thing would be at work here and maybe perhaps a little bit of weight is given to the historical uh, rivalries that have existed between the Northern California schools and the Southern California schools and that maybe Stanford is able to play against USC as its crossover. Cal plays against UCLA as its crossover. Who knows? But that would certainly be my vote. Another question that arose from yesterday's big announcement, from Thursday's big announcement, how much did money factor in the decision to play? Look, it's college football. It's college sports. You got to follow the money. That's, that's rule number one in, in basically everything. You would think anyway, right? Well, maybe if you ask Oregon President Michael Schill, he'll give you a different answer. He certainly did on Thursday when he was asked how much of a, how much of a factor money played into everything. Or social media sometimes talks about that, we, that the conference is doing things because of money. This has nothing to do with money. It was never once mentioned as a consideration. The losses that our schools are encountering, and in particular, our athletic departments, are huge. The amount of money that will be paid uh, as a result of going back to play is tiny in comparison with the losses. It had no effect on our decision. A rather emphatic answer from University of Oregon President Michael Schill, who is the chair of the Pac-12 CEO group. And look, the, the more cynical of us will snicker at, at that answer. And no doubt, athletic departments are taking a massive beating financially. Not just a case in the Pac-12, but, but nationwide. Some of you may not have uh, heard about this, but uh, Ohio State. Ohio State, with all the revenue they pull in, they're actually having to lay off some staff, by the way. So everybody's feeling the pain nationwide coast to coast. So the more cynical of us will snicker at the answer that Michael Schill uh, gave there saying that money was not was not a factor in, in getting back onto the field um, as, as, as quickly as the Pac-12 uh, potentially could. Now, I think we can all agree that tiny revenue, as uh, Michael Schill put it there, is certainly better than none. <laughs> tiny revenue beats no revenue at all. Somewhat along those lines, what about the, the college football playoff? Is a seven-game schedule enough for the Pac-12 to be in the mix for the college football playoff? 
not just for the trophy, which is nice, but but for the cash, the cheddar, the Skrilla, that all the schools in the Pac-12 can share if a Pac-12 team gets in the CFP, gets in that top four. Larry Scott says... Yeah, our school is going to have the opportunity to be in the conversation, have every opportunity. Uh, we regularly discuss this at the CFP Management Committee. You know, There's no minimum number of games, and I think we're all very humbly going into the season realizing there could be disruptions along the way. In fact, our fellow conferences have built that into their schedules with bye weeks, and we've seen it play out over the first, uh, first few weeks. So no one knows how many games they're going to get in. It's going to be a challenge for the committee this year. They're going to have more subjectivity than they've ever had in terms of different schools with different number of games, player availability, uh, other different conditions to contend with. But that's why we've got a committee of uh, you know, 13 you know, very diverse experts that are going to weigh it all up. But um, yeah, our schools, knowing that we're going to be able to play a meaningful number of games, high-level games, uh, with our championship concluding uh, the couple of days before that final CFP uh, meeting, uh, we absolutely have the opportunity to have a team in the mix for the playoff. And I know our teams and our student-athletes are coming back eager uh, to compete for that. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott. And, of course, the trick there is for the Pac-12 to have a team that's worthy of being in the conversation uh, for the college football playoff. And as of right now, that appears to be uh, a pretty tough and a pretty tall task. Uh, you would think that Oregon would be top of the list there. But, man, they were decimated by opt-outs. Earlier this month, Panay Sewell, the best offensive lineman, maybe not just in the Pac-12, but perhaps in all of college football, decided to opt out. And they lost a good chunk of their experience in the secondary, too. So Oregon is maybe still the class of the Pac-12 North, but certainly they've taken some big hits from a personnel standpoint over the past few weeks. Obviously, Stanford with a big hit taken with Walker Little uh, deciding to opt out. He has signed with an agent and is training for the NFL draft down in Pensacola while working to finish his degree as he's on track to graduate in December. And I'm pretty sure that once you sign with an agent, after you opt out, uh, the NCAA isn't going to quite let you back in. Even in these wild times, I'm pretty sure that that is... That is not uh, something that the NCA is going to uh, to budge from. If they do, hey, great. I'm sure Stanford would wel welcome Walker Little back with open arms if he chooses to do that. I don't think he would, but you know, hey, I'm I'm not Walker Little, and I'm not uh, I'm not the NCAA. But I would have thought that Oregon might have been in that mix for the college football playoff. Maybe not now. Maybe USC. That's where I turn to now. Pac-12 CEOs met last week, but there wasn't a vote to play taken then. Why not? Oregon President Michael Schill explains that part of the puzzle. The reason we decided not to was we wanted to go back and talk with our students. We wanted to go back and talk with our faculty and staff, as well as our boards. And I did that. I met with about five or six different groups. And I'll tell you, the group that is most in my mind is the two groups of student athletes that I met with. Um, and they were so desirous of going back to practice and play. This is something that they dream of. 
This is something that they want for their future. And this is something that they had been deprived of. And COVID-19 has taken so much away from these students. We didn't want, I didn't want making my vote. I didn't want to take this away from them. And so if I could feel comfortable with their health and their safety, that we weren't jeopardizing it, then to give them this ability to fulfill their dreams was something that I felt I should vote in favor of. That's Michael Schill. And okay, that, that's great and all, and I appreciate the sentiment at all, but, you know, I, this whole thing cannot be based on what we want. We've talked about this. We've, we all want the kids to play. Everybody wants to play. The student athletes want to play. The coaches want the kids to play. Fans want the kids to play. Schools want the kids to play all for various and different reasons. You know, media wants kids to play, despite what some narratives out there might be on, on, on Twitter and, and other, other corners of, of the Internet. Everybody wants these kids to play. But that can't be the deciding factor in all of this. Because until we get a handle, until there is a vaccine, until this virus is completely and totally managed, it's not about what we want. It's about handling the virus as best as we possibly can. So I appreciate the sentiments from Oregon President Michael Schill, but that can't be the deciding factor there. That can't be the, that can't be the reason why you play. The virus doesn't care. The virus does not care what we want. We've had that discussion before on the TreeCast. Now, despite the Quido announcement and the partnership that the Pac-12 announced three weeks ago, allowing for the rapid testing, the turnaround, and the, and the daily testing that, that is necessary to, con to, uh, to conduct football on this scale, the Big Ten still beat the Pac-12 to a set to return a set return to play and the mountain west on thursday evening also announced that it's back in the business and this was an intriguing question that that and a fair question too that i thought was asked and it was directed towards oregon president michael schill as he was asked why the pac-12 despite having a leg up on rapid testing on daily testing has fallen behind other Power 5 schools and other schools in the Pac-12 footprint in getting backed onto the field. Shill's response. So let me argue with your premise. I don't think we're behind. I think that we are, do, we are acting deliberately. We are acting in the students' best interests. We waited until we were able uh, to, if not ensure, to protect their health in safety and compared to, uh, you mentioned the Big Ten, uh, the regulatory frameworks of the West Coast, as you know, are different and, uh, and in the sense that a number of the, um, most, of, most if not all of the government entities uh, that the Big Ten was working under um, permitted uh, practice and permitted play whereas two of our major uh, state governments did not. And so that all came clear uh, over the past week. And so I, I think once those barriers came down, once the daily antigen test 
became available. And all of this was related to everything, right? They're all, these are moving parts that are all uh, meshing. Then it became apparent we could do this. And then we needed to spend a little bit of time to, in terms of consulting with our campuses. So uh, again, I, I just don't think that uh, the way that you phrased it is correct. I think that we are doing what we should be doing, doing it under a schedule that makes sense and is in the best interests of our students and our communities. That's Oregon President Michael Schill. And look, the optics the last 10 days or so for the Pac-12 haven't been great on a lot of levels. And the timing of things haven't helped out either because it seems like the Pac-12 has been following the Big Ten the whole way. The Big Ten announced um, that, that, that it was, it was going to go conference only in July. Pac-12 followed suit a couple days later. Big Ten announced that it was going to cancel all fall sports competition. Pac-12 followed suit just a couple days later. Big Ten announced that it's coming back. Pac-12 follows suit. So the timing does not help out the optics here for the Pac-12. But I, I want to be cautious here about judging the Pac-12's response to the coronavirus and making sure that everybody's safe and the different parameters that define safe, because that certainly seems to, to vary from one area of the country to the next. I want to be cautious about judging the Pac-12's response versus how other conferences have handled it strictly based on how quickly they got back onto the field. Because let's face it, you know, even though the ACC and the Big 12, I guess, um, among the Power 5 conferences, uh, won the race to the starting line, in a sense, SEC finally begins this week. Don't forget that in those footprints, in those conferences, respective footprints, those states, a good bulk of them, haven't been taking this virus anywhere near as seriously as most of the states in the Pac-12 footprint have, and to a lesser extent, as the Big Ten footprint have. It's hard for me to congratulate how those conferences have approached things when I have major question marks about how their states have handled their responses to COVID-19. I can't do that. So I'm not going to judge the Pac-12 for falling behind other conferences because there were things happening that were out of the Pac-12's control, specifically the local health authorities on the state and the county levels in the states of California and Oregon. And it can certainly be construed that, you know, hey, the, 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 the Big Ten, you know, the, the Pac-12 didn't really show much urgency to getting back on the field after, you know, they announced their, 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 their partnership with Quido. And it only seemed like they found the urgency after the Big Ten announced that, that things were trending towards their return and then announced that, that, that it was back and ready to play. I certainly would hope that that is not the case. And I certainly would hope that the Pac-12 isn't doing this because everybody else is, but doing this because it's the safe and responsible thing to do. So I would, I'd be careful about, you know, jumping on the Pac-12 for, uh, for, for its response based on other conferences 
and how quickly they were able to get to the start line. Along those lines, getting to the starting line, the most telling part of the whole web conference to me was this sequence, starting with Oregon State, uh, Dr. Oregon State's Dr. Doug Ackerman and Oregon's President Michael Schill following up. I need to remind everybody that we are at a starting point again, and we need to be diligent and we need to continue to monitor um, COVID and the spread of COVID and be willing to, to keep apprised of this and keep in communication with our athletic directors and, and the presidents and CEO group. And, you know, it, it's not uh, suddenly just all on and without continued monitoring. Yes. Uh can I just jump back in for a second, um, just to emphasize that? So we're moving forward now, but we're not moving forward with our eyes shut. We are going to be paying attention to what's happening, and you know, if uh, we start getting spikes that suggest that we this is not sustainable, we will just uh, you know stop playing uh, because again. The value is health and safety of our players in our community. Yeah, that's the thing. This is just the start. This is just the starting line. And you know what? Quite honestly, Pac-12 isn't exactly at the starting line just yet. They won't be until they kick things off on Friday, November the 6th, and Saturday, November the 7th. And a lot can happen between now and then. So this isn't the end of the story. Not, not by a long shot. Not by a long shot. It's, it's just another step towards getting back on the field. That's all this is. A big one, yes. <laughs> Granted, we've, we've been here before, but a bit more optimism that this thing can finally be pulled off, even on a, on a miniature scale with just seven games and, and not the full 12, and the daily testing and, and the ability to to, to catch things before they really get out of hand if necessary. So a, a bit more optimism that, that this can finally be pulled off. And you might remember when the Pac-12 announced its, schedule, its football schedule 2.0 back on July 31st. Someone asked Larry Scott uh, his confidence level for that the conference was going to be able to pull it off. And he said, I don't know. Seemed to have a much higher confidence level this time around. And so do I. I mean, do, do I feel better about things? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I do. Uh, am, am I excited? Yes. Yes, I am. Am I still apprehensive about some things? Yeah. Yeah, you bet. Because look at it this way. In weeks one through three around the entire college football slate, weeks one through three, there were 56 games scheduled to be played in those first three weeks. 13 of them were either canceled or postponed due to COVID-19. That's a 23% clip. So you're looking at about a one in four chance as of, you know, going by the first three weeks, looking at about a one in four chance of actually not having a game to play in any given week. Now, for this week, 36 games were on the college football slate for this week. Out of that, you've had six cancellations and postponements. And this morning, Boulder County in Colorado issued a public health order halting all gatherings of 18 to 22-year-olds. Boulder County, by the way, 
is the home of the campus of the University of Colorado, where the Buffaloes play. And that you know, kind of gave some people some pause when that news came out on Thursday morning, just a few hours before the Pac-12 made its announcement. Apparently, Colorado has some contingency plans. They were aware of this. They weren't caught off guard by that, by that public health order, and they had contingency plans in place. So the numbers overall nationwide through the first three-plus weeks of the college football season haven't been great. 23% of the games haven't even been played. Now, again, those games, many of those games were taking place in areas of the country where they just haven't taken the virus seriously enough. By and large, the Pac-12 has had a better track record. Arizona's been quite iffy, <laughs> and maybe some, maybe some things in Utah, too. And apparently Colorado isn't quite out of the woods just yet either. But maybe as stringent as California and Oregon and Washington have been, maybe as strict as they've been, gives the Pac-12 a better chance to be able to play more games as scheduled. Are they going to bat a thousand? I don't know. I hope so. I'd love them to bat a thousand on their schedule this fall. It would not surprise me if it didn't. Wouldn't surprise me if it didn't. So there are still a lot of question marks going forward that we will not have answers to right away. And look, you can put whatever you whatever you want on the marquee from week to week. Stanford versus Cal, Oregon versus Washington. Uh, USC versus versus Arizona State. Looking forward to checking that game out, by the way. You can put whatever you want to on the marquee, and you could put whatever opponent you want to in front of these Pac-12 teams. The big opponent is the virus. And it's one, let me remind everyone, that it's not just the kids fighting. <laughs> We're all fighting it. Wear your mask. Don't do anything silly. Do whatever you can to make sure that this schedule goes off and that we that hey maybe the Pac-12 does bat a thousand between November 7th and December the 18th that would be cool that'd be completely cool I mean look let's be real here uh, with, with this year being what it is and with everything swirling around everything um, like it has been I am less concerned about Oh, can Stanford win a Pac-12 championship? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that would, that would be nice. I think certainly offensively they're going to be uh, a, a potentially a force to be reckoned with if, if, everything, if everything works out well. Protection, uh, performance, scheme, execution, play call. There's, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think Stanford offensively um, has the skill to hang with anybody in the Pac-12 at this point. But I'm, look, I am less concerned about whether pa the pa whether Stanford can win the Pac-12 or who wins the Pac-12 championship at this point than I am about everyone staying healthy. That's my number one concern about all this. And, you know, mi mixed feelings, I'm not going to lie. I mean, again, I'm, I'm excited to see everybody back on the field or at least taking big steps towards getting back on the field. Again, who knows what could happen between now and the first weekend in November. But I'm, I'm really cha winning championships for this year right now. I'm pretty far removed from that. I just want to make sure that everyone does this as safely as they possibly can and that this is done in as responsible a fashion 
as it possibly can be. And if need be, if you got to pull the plug, pull the plug. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about optics. Don't worry about what other conferences are doing. If stuff gets out of hand, do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. In a normal year, championships are nice. But as we all know, this ain't a normal year. So those are just my reactions to the Pac-12's announcement from Thursday. I'd love to hear your thoughts as always. Hashtag TreeCast. Hit me up via Twitter with the hashtag TreeCast. That's the best way to ensure that I see your thoughts. Before we wrap up the show, I want to give a quick shout out to a former Stanford Cardinal who is making his debut with his new team on Saturday. K.J. Costello. Remember him? Yeah. Former Stanford quarterback, graduate transfer, now with Mississippi State as the Bulldogs face LSU. And in case you missed it earlier this week, and things have kind of been trending to this point over the past couple of weeks anyway, according to things that Mike Leach had been had been telling the, the media in Starkville, Mississippi, also known as Stark Vegas, that K.J. Costello is the starting quarterback for Mississippi State. So pretty neat. I, I, I wish him well. Um, he made some... Uh, he made some comments that, wow, you know, it, it just, you know, it really does mean more in the SEC and that this, it, for, for, from a football player standpoint, this is all you do. This is how kids feed their families, you know, in, in, in SEC country. And some folks were, were worried about, oh, is, is that a slap at the Stanford football program? No, I didn't take it as such. He's, he's just stating the fact. It is different in the SEC, and it probably does mean more in the SEC. And, you know, that, that just is what it is. So he's going to go into a great situation. The air raid offense is not completely foreign to him. Don't forget what KJ did against Washington state and Mike Leach in 2018 and the up-tempo spread them out, aired out offense that he employed that day. The same approaches that we saw him use with Stanford Throughout many of his starts in the 2019 season, uh, the Arizona game in particular, where he was just clicking, man, that was that was fun to watch, and that that probably was Stanford football offensively the best that it has looked since 2015. So, even though the approach might be completely different, as KJ told the Athletic, look, it's a it's a whole different deal, man. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if I'm if I'm playing the same sport, the same position, with how differently Mike Leach approaches things. But the look of things, the overall philosophy behind things, KJ isn't new to that. He isn't new to that. Even though he comes from a pro-style offense and a relatively conservative head coach in David Shaw, this isn't new to him. So how much help will KJ get? I don't know. I, I don't know Mississippi State football outside of KJ and Mike Leach. They're going to be pretty entertaining. I'm pretty sure about that. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing what KJ can do with the Bulldogs. Really enjoyed watching him compete for Stanford. You know, the most charismatic quarterback that, that I've certainly come across in, in 27 years of, of, of following Stanford sports. And that gap might not be very, it, 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 the, the gap there might not be very close. 
Uh, you, you, KJ walks in the room, you know he's a quarterback. You just know right away. So certainly the components are there for him to build on what he's learned at Stanford and apply those things, some of those things, to what he will learn in the air raid scheme in Mike Leach and hopefully put him in, in better position on draft day. I got no hard feelings towards KJ at all. I wish him 100% success going forward. I just wanted to give him a shout out right here on this very show. Looking forward to seeing what he can do. Looking forward to seeing what happens with the Pac-12 football schedule. We may have one by the time we come to you next week on the TreeCast. We'll likely get back to our normal posting schedule um, midweek or so, uh, beginning uh, next week. And hey, now that We've got some games coming up. Uh, once we get to that portion of the season, uh, we'll likely come at you twice a week then with a, a preview of each game and then a review of each game. So looking forward to getting back on that timeline, uh, TreeCast-wise, coming up. A lot to look forward to. Big steps taken on Thursday. And let's do everything we can to make sure that those steps are followed through, that everybody gets, is able to take the field safely by the first week of November, and that it stays that way through mid-December. Thanks again for joining us on the show. And we will talk to you again next time. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Just as dumb as the person who refuses to wear a mask. Do it. Just do it. Just do it. There's no downsides to it. Just do it. Just do it. See you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.